All right, good morning, everybody. It's great to see people in the sanctuary again. So for those that are joining us for the first time, for those that are new with us, just want to welcome you guys. Um, don't go rush Mike and Alyssa, but they're here with baby Haley. So she's one of our pandemic babies that happened. And, and so um, she's two months old now. So... So cute. She's so alert. But don't, don't crowd her. <laughs> COVID's still around, guys. All right. Well, as we continue in our summer series in the One Another's of the Bible, um, this is a series we're excited about. This is a series that, for us, lays down so much of foundations of even as we come off of a, a worldwide pandemic and move into what we're trying to move into, which is normalcy. And I think there's going to be a new normal. I don't think there's, we're going to go right back to how we used to live life. But one of the things that we want to encourage you guys as you guys are, are, are coming back out of your homes, out of your shells, is, is how do we interact with each other? How do we come back together as a church? And what does God say about how we are to treat one another? And so last week I, I brought up this verse, John thirteen thirty-five. It says that your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And this is exactly what this series is about. It's a, a series of commands in, that instructs us how to relate to each other within our church community as a witness to the world. So today we're going to be looking into another one um, out of Hebrews. But before we go into that, let's pray. Father God, we just thank you, Lord, that you are God, you are good, you are our Lord and Savior, and Lord, we could come and worship you together as a church family, and Lord, we don't take that for granted, and we love that you have your mercy and grace in our church. So Father God, as we come and, and look into your words, Lord, may you continue to challenge the way that we live, but continue to lift us up in our spirit to show the world that you are good. So, Lord, we thank you um, for all that you're doing, and we thank you for all that you continue to do. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 12 to 14. I have it up here on the screen as well. And it says this. It says, Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So today we're going to look at, be looking at the, the idea of exhorting one another. To exhort, that word means to strongly encourage. There's an aspect of to urge, to persuade there's an importance to, to, to the aspect of exhort. There's an urgency to do something. The difference between an exhortation and an encouragement is that an exhortation comes with a form of teaching and encourages you to take actionable steps. Whereas an encouragement is a practice of telling people that you're doing great and you're, you're their cheerleader. That's what encouragement is. But an exhortation comes with, hey, not that you're not doing great, but let's continue building on this. Let's continue to, to do better together. And then there's this action aspect to it. 
And so today we're going to look at what it means to exhort one another. And today, in our testimony series, we have two people that's called a one very special person. And so um, in our video, you're going to see Deborah and Anita, and they're going to be calling out Bernice. Today, I'd like to give my testimony about Bernice and how much of a blessing she has been in my life. Uh, there are many areas about her that's really impacted me over the years. For example, her love and hospitality to everybody that she meets, how she always makes evangelism look easy and natural, how the prophetic is a natural rhythm of her daily life, and how she's always able to pray with power and with authority. Uh, Bernice has been to me a teacher and mentor and just a dear friend. She's also the grandma who lets you invite all your little friends to her house and she'll organize everybody into an art class, equipped with all the supplies that you need and homemade lunch, and then capped off with a Bible study and a gospel message at the end. And all of these things, none of it seems flashy or grandiose, but it is that aspect of discipleship, of just coming alongside her and sharing life with her and learning from her in these day-to-day -day moments of how to live the Christian life. I know that her heart is always to teach us and to impart to us what she knows about God and how to minister his message to those around us. Uh, for myself personally, there are two things I'd like to highlight about her that uh, impacted me the most in my relationship with her. The first is that initially as I was getting to know Bernice, um, because of her joy, I just naively assumed that by and large she's had an easy life. But um, getting to know her and to know the things that she's had to contend with over time, I realized that she's had to walk through some really difficult trials as well. But she didn't let these things turn her heart bitter or resentful, um, nor did she spiritually bypass the pain or deny it. I come to see that her joy is not artificial, but actually born out of the victories and the strength of having overcome through God. So when life gets me down, or when the enemy is breathing down my neck, Bernice is always speaking courage into my heart. Um, out of her own experience and knowing the goodness and faithfulness of God, she reminds me that He is always there to lift me up. She's a friend who will listen and empathize, um, but she always speaks the truth with love. She exemplifies for me that when these simple truths of God are lived out, they actually translate to a daily demonstration of His power and of His grace. The second aspect for me is that as someone who is still fairly young in the faith and not having been brought up in the church, I learned from her um, what family life is like in the church and what it means to be a member of our spiritual family. Uh, because of her love for the body of Christ and for everybody, her heart is always to support each other and to care for each other, to sow seeds of unity and strength and not criticism and division. Because our love is only, because we are only as strong as our love is for one another, um, especially when the enemy is still trying to constantly tear down God's church. Bernice also modeled to me uh, what joyful submission looks like, not just to God, but also to our spiritual leaders. She embodies to me um, Hebrews 13, 17, where it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with grief, for this will be unprofitable to you. In private, she always speaks very highly of our pastors. She wants us to know that we can entrust our lives to them because God has placed them over us as authority. And I learned from her that in order to be an asset to this spiritual family that I call home, that there needs to be a heart of loyalty. Actually, this is a quality that can take one far in life, no matter what organization one belongs to. So then it is even more so a valuable quality for God's family. 
Um, in all of these things, Bernice didn't need to preach at us or lecture us. She just went about life being Bernice, and along the way, she invited us in. And I know that all these things that I've learned from her will be gold to me for the rest of my spiritual walk with God. I was introduced to Bernice Sandra on my second uh, visit to Five Stones Church. And um, I just wanted to take a few minutes right now and share a few ways that Bernice has really blessed my life. So that particular Sunday morning, uh, she and I were having a chat at the back, back of the sanctuary. And uh, before the end of the conversation, she had invited me to her Thursday night cell group. And thankfully, I accepted. But as Thursday um, evening rolled around, I have to admit I was a little nervous because I didn't know what to expect and I didn't know anyone there. But as soon as Bernice answered the door, I realized I, I didn't have to worry because she made me feel very at ease and very welcome and, and right at home. So one of the first ways I was blessed was that I was introduced to several other women um, that went to Five Stones Church as well. And uh, right away I started to feel that I was being introduced to community, which is, which is really important. It didn't take long um, to realize that Bernice's home is a, a very safe place and that what we um, might talk about or, or share in conversation would stay there. And also that um, it didn't matter how big or how small our questions might be, um, you know, we weren't made to feel silly. It just, it, that was okay. And that was truly really important to me at the time because um, I was very new to the church. Um, I didn't know if I prayed correctly. Um, I wasn't sure if I would be expected to pray in front of um, other people. And uh, I didn't even know if I spoke the lingo. And, and yes, we Christians, we do have a lingo. Anyway, as the years went by, um, I met you know, different people because people would um, come and people would go and, and um, the cell group sort of morphed into, you know, either lessons or conversation groups or that type of thing. But the bottom line was that uh, we got to share and uh, just really do life together. And um, I guess the, the main ways that Bernice really uh, blessed my life um, was by being very welcoming, as I mentioned already. Um, she always included me and in, in each person, so there wasn't a time that um, we weren't included if we wanted to, you know, contribute. Um, and I, I guess the biggest way would be the fact that um, she made me really feel like I belonged, and I, I think everybody wants to belong. So truly, Bernice, knowing Bernice is like being in the front row of a master class on hospitality and friendship. So over those years, um, because Bernice and I live very close together, we started doing things together outside of cell group and, and outside of church. We would um, sometimes go for a walk or periodically we went um, 
for a meal at a restaurant or you know just conversations on the phone and um, and I think one of my favorite things that we would do and for anyone that might not know this Bernice is um, quite an artist and uh, she does a lot of acrylic painting and, and some oil painting and, and watercolor too. Anyway, we got to talking and um, she found out that I, I enjoy doing, I kind of dabble in art. I don't do it a lot, but I, I enjoy it. So she began inviting me over to uh, paint with her. And that was excellent because, um, you know, we had, we had, you know, could share that um, common, um, activity together and during those times we we'd have some really awesome conversations and and we sometimes had some really good laughs and I think a few times there were tears too I mean that's what happens when you know when you do life together so in closing I just would like to um, tell anyone that um, might not know this about Bernice as well but she has a tagline and it, uh, let me just quote it here. It is, um, her tagline is, I only do fun things. So Bernice, um, even though you've moved away, and I, I just, I, I truly, I dearly miss you, I hope we still have many, many, many opportunities to uh, share time together and maybe still get together and uh, have more of those awesome conversations and uh, share some laughs as well. So thank you, Bernice, for blessing my life. Thank you. Good morning, Five Stone Church. I wish I could be with you. I miss you all. And uh, it's, it's really hard to make the transition from Five Stone to a different church, but God is helping you with that. I was asked uh, what motivated me to reach out to Deborah and Anita. And it's a little different with each one of them, but I think the Lord really drew them to my attention. And especially, you know, when they came through the prayer line and I prayed for them and, and I could just really feel their hunger uh, to know the Lord more, to know the scriptures more, uh, to go deeper with God. And I invited them into the cell group. And again, in the cell group, the questions they asked, I, I just knew these, these two women really want to know the Lord more. So I, I really uh, listened to the Lord when he said that he wanted me to, to uh, mentor them and uh, so I've invited them into other uh, uh, Christian groups. Um, I had a, a intercessory prayer group before I came to Five Stone, and they're all very mature intercessors. And I thought, well, we'll just see how Deborah and Anita do with that. And uh, I, I know they felt a little out of their depths at times, but they, uh, I could also see that they were just enjoying uh, being with these more mature, uh, godly women. Um, over the past 20 years, uh, the Lord has um, indicated to me that He wants me to mentor younger women. And um, it's 
to teach them uh, lessons of, about prayer and and just to basically have a really good relationship with them, get to know them, uh, and and to bring them into a, a deeper relationship with with Jesus. So I've had a group for intercessory prayer. I've had uh, a group for a, a prophecy, dream interpretation, um, and uh, uh, also Christian values. So Anita and Deborah have, have uh, come along in, in a lot of those uh, classes that I had, and they have really grown, and they have, uh, I, I believe they've even outgrown me. So that's what I want to see them to do things better than I do. Um, so I'm not um, uh, a great scholar or a great teacher. All I've done is opened my life and my house and my home uh, to to women to come and and just uh, get to know them and to encourage them and uh, and and open my life to them. Sometimes this is really hard because, you know, you have to keep your house clean. You have to, you know, be vulnerable. Um, and, and so sometimes it's the, the timing isn't right, but you still do it. So it's giving of yourself, giving of your time. And uh, I've, I've just been so blessed in doing this. It's just amazing. After I have spent time with these women, and I, I just like I'm so blessed so it's it's not a chore it's a total blessing so I just uh, encouraged to see their growth and I, I now see that they're going to be you know mentoring and, and doing ministry in the church and that's just uh, such a blessing to me so thank you five stones uh, for um, all that you do in New Westminster, I continue to pray for you. I continue to pray for New West, and, and I just know that God has great and awesome things for the church ahead. So thank you. Bye. What, what great testimonies and what great just messages that these three ladies have given. And for those that don't know, because, I mean, we haven't been together and it's hard to communicate. And so Bernice has moved over to the island um, to live with her, her daughter. She's been invited by her daughter to, to live with her. And so she, she has left Five Stones. She's, she's actually left her entire city. She now lives um, on Vancouver Island. And I spoke to her this week as we were trying to get the, the videos going. And for her, she really misses Five Stones. She's like, this is still my home. This is still... Uh, where my heart is and where, where I feel like I belong. And she's adjusting. She said the pace of life is much slower over there. Um, she says she could hear the birds, which she couldn't hear here because for those that knew where Bernice lived, she lived right next to the SkyTrain, so she now she replaces SkyTrain noises with bird noises. Um, <laughs> but uh, she is enjoying her, her, her kind of new lifestyle, a much slower pace, um, and just life with her her daughter, and they're still renovating uh, the space for her to live in, um, but she's doing well, and so for those that have been part of the church for a long time, know Bernice, and know that everything that Deborah and Anita has called out on is so true about her, 
And for Bernice, it's such a natural thing for her just to, to, to really build into people. Like, she doesn't even think about it. She just does it so naturally, and she does it so much out of just, not just the willingness of her heart and her, of her spirit, but really because she loves the church. That's one of the things that Bernice embodies is that she absolutely loves the church, and she wants to see the church thrive. She wants to th- see the church be the church that Jesus has established. And so that's one of the things that, that we really see for Bernice. And even as she, she talks about it, just it's, it's so natural for her. And she is so happy and pleased to, to see where Five Stones is going. And as you know, that Bernice used to be one of the elders here. She, and she still holds that mantle in some ways because as I was talking to her, she's just like, so John, like, what are the things that Five Stones is going to continue to do? What are, what are we looking forward to? And I'm just like, Bernice, you're not, you're not working anymore. You don't need to worry about these things, which for her, it's just so natural for her to think like that, you know? And so this aspect of exhorting each other is something that Jesus has called us to do, to, to really lift up each other, but in a way that propels each other's faith, right? It's not just, hey, you're doing a great job. No, it's like you're doing a great job, but what else? Is God calling to do? What else is in your calling that God has for you that I could encourage you to continue to push forward? That's what exhortation is about. And so as we look at the passage, I lost my clicker. But my tech team is on top of it, so I don't need my clicker. It says, take care, brothers. That's how it starts off. It says, take care, brothers. In the NIV and in the NLT, it actually says brothers and sisters. So women, you're not left out of this. Brothers is a a generic term for my my family, my church. People that believe, people that are uh, have committed their life to Jesus. That's what it's about. Okay, so so it says, take care. There is a warning that comes with this because it says, take care, be careful. Be careful. Listen. Proceed with caution. Okay, so this is how the verse starts off. It says, see to this. Make sure you, you, you note this down. This is a warning. And it's saying that, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Now you're saying, okay, well, in the church, how, if we're, we're Christians and we're here, why would we have an unbelieving heart. There's a couple things that are at work here. Unbelief is the easiest way for Satan to tear us down. Unbelief isn't just about not believing, but it's about wrong belief. Does that make sense? That Satan's first temptation into sin is telling Eve a lie. It's convincing that she may, that Eve may not know as much as she knows or seeing things wrong. That she, that she could have more, that she could know more if she just takes from this fruit that God said not to. You see, that Satan's there not to, to cause unbelief. The evil that, that comes is, that's exactly what it is. Is to take what you think you know and take what you think find that you have solid foundation in and twist it. 
So unbelief isn't just the, the aspect of not believing in who Jesus is, but it's wrong belief in who Jesus is for you. And so this is that warning. She's like, be careful. All of these things is to lead you to do what? To fall away from God. It's to take you further from God. Sometimes we, we're living in a, in a place where we, we, we have this progressive Christianity that's going on, where we think that we know more than what the church is teaching or what the Bible actually says, that we know more about who God's real characteristics are, and we feel like, well, the definition of God is now a little bit loose. And we can redefine God in a way that fits our lives. But that's what, where unbelief starts. It starts in a place where we start doubting something, and there's very good reason for a lot of us to start doubting something, whether it's due to, to religious feelings or traditions that don't actually align with how society works today. There could be so many different things that, that, that causes us to doubt some of the things that are practices that the churches do. And I'm not saying that those are wrong feelings. I'm just saying that you need to make sure that the feelings you have doesn't take you away from who God really is. Because that's what the enemy wants to do for us. He wants to tear us down in a way where he, he, he's eating away just a little bit. Where he deceives you. And next verse you're going to see there, there's that aspect of Deception. Where he deceives you into thinking, hey, what you know is actually right. What you know, now you're actually woke. That's the new term that I'm learning. That you're now woke. And then as you are now awakened to these new ways of thinking, that is all, all of a sudden starts to readjust your spirituality. As you readjust that spirituality, you start falling further away from God without even knowing it. To a place where you are coming into a place where your faith, and I've seen this with so many friends, where your faith becomes almost work-based and not faith-based. That it's like you have to do certain things or be a certain way or say certain things to prove that you're a Christian instead of just being in Jesus that defines you as a Christian. This unbelief is very strong right now. And, and as we continue to look, he starts off with a warning, but then he says, so because of that, exhort one another every day. Okay, not just sometimes, but every day. This requires us to actually be in Christian community all the time, right? We're just coming out of a pandemic. We have, all of us have been in some ways isolated, right? Yes, there's technology and we're grateful for that. There's Zoom and all this new technology and FaceTime that keeps us kind of connected. And in some ways it's cool because now we get, we're actually connected to people that are actually not within our circle as often, but in some ways, we've really been isolated. Isolated from that daily interaction with each other. And so it says, exhort each other every day as long as it is called today. And you see that today, that word is in quotation. That none of you may be hardened by the deceitful desires, the deceitfulness of sin. 
There we go, we have it again. Deceitfulness of sin. Sin is always trying to deceive you. It's trying to, to, to lead you astray. But when it talks about the aspect of what is called today, it goes back. If you read the, the, the bulk of that chapter, it goes back to the time when Israel was, was, being, was wandering in the desert with Moses for 40 years. And it goes back to that place where, because God says, like, that time was a time of rebellion from my people. Now, if you think about it, when God led the Israelites and freed them from the Egyptians, there were so many moments that the Israelites just doubt God's provisions, even though God provided in so many ways for them. And God is saying that was the most rebellious time, right? During the 40 years, I mean, they built an idol because they couldn't see God, even though God was giving them manna every single day. That God was providing them and meeting their basic needs every single day. This is little food from heaven falling. And yet people were still like, mm, I don't know about this God. I don't know if I can believe you or trust you. And I'm going to make my own God. That's, that, that was a, the Israelites' mentality. They constantly doubted who God was. They constantly came to a place of rebellion. And God's saying that that today that I'm talking about... It's about that rebellion days. And I do believe that today we still live in that place of rebellion because we see the church and the church is constantly tearing each other apart in a place where they're like, oh, your theology is this, your theology is that, your doctrine is wrong, your doctrine is, is right, whatever it is. We're constantly arguing with each other. We're constantly in a place where the church is not unified. And God's saying, no, that this today that I'm asking you to grasp is to break free from that rebellion and constantly tell each other, encourage each other, exhort each other to keep pushing forward in faith, to keep moving forward in faith. Today we have a lot of things to challenge. Our theology is constantly being challenged. And theology, it's a big word, right? But theology simply means theo, which means God. Ology means the study of, like biology, sociology. Ology is just the study of something. So theo meaning God, ology meaning the study. It's, it's the study of God. It's knowing who God is for us. That's theology. And every single person here in this room has their personal theology. Because so much of our theology, our understanding of who God is, comes from our lived experience, comes from my, our own personal biography. It comes from an aspect of how do we experience God and how is God real to me. And so that theology aspect of it, we sometimes we're, as, as Christians, we, we're like, oh, well, we need to really be careful of theology. Yes, we do, but theology needs, your personal theology is always changing. Why? Because as you grow in your theology, your theology is changing and growing with it, right? Your understanding of who God is changes, right? And so there's a lot of things when we, when we talk about theology that I want to, 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 to think about is to exhort each other which is to encourage faith into each other so that when we look at our personal theology, it needs to align with something. What is that something that we need to align ourselves with? 
what is it that we need to, to make sure that we don't get deceived? We find that in the next chapter. It says, for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm, firm to the end. This is the gospel of Jesus, okay? This is the aspect of what do we share as Christians? All of us in this room, what do we share that is the commonality? Jesus. We're all here today because of what? Because of Jesus. We're all here sitting in this room, not because we have a great room and a great church and a great group of friends, but we all sit here because we understand that Jesus did something for us. Right? And therefore, because of what Jesus did for us, that we have, we, we could come together as a church. That's what the church is about. The church revolves around Jesus. It doesn't revolve around just the community aspect of it or the good deeds aspect or the good beliefs or the good worship or the good preaching. It doesn't revolve around any of that. What Christianity and what the church revolves around is Jesus and Jesus alone. Amen? That is the original confidence that we're talking about here in the scripture. That what we have confidence in above every single thing that we think about or, or dream about or, or understand beyond all of our theology, our confidence is in Jesus. This is one of the things that I want to remind you guys of because Jesus is the person that we need to constantly point each other to. Jesus is a place where we find our confidence that if you're unsure of what the right answer is, set your eyes on Jesus. Jesus is the prize, Jesus is the goal, and Jesus is the end. This is what our community is about, and it is about holding on to our salvation and growing in that salvation. It is only in Jesus that we have victory over sin. It is only in Jesus that any of this is possible. The only gospel is about Jesus. Without Jesus, it's just a bunch of good morals and good thinking and good works and to be a good person. Jesus needs to be the motivation. When we exhort each other, make sure you point each other to Jesus. If you're unsure of anything, look into the scriptures and ask yourself, what would Jesus do? What is Jesus about? What is Jesus saying to me in this situation and in this moment? I've been in so many circles right now of of great leaders, great Christian thinkers, where we have all these good thinking But one of the things that I I am always uneasy about is when Jesus isn't brought up in that conversation. For me, this conversation is no longer about the church. It's just about culture and society. We cannot take Jesus out of the church. We cannot take Jesus out of the thinking and how we function as a church. Do you understand that? That Jesus always needs to be primary. Jesus always needs to be part of that conversation. That as we grow in our faith, we need to understand that who are we looking at is the person of Jesus. That Jesus died on the cross for our sins so that you can be saved today. So that you can be reconciled. So that you can fall into that grace. So that you can experience his mercy. Everything that we do here is because of what Jesus did on the cross. 
So when we look at what it means to exhort each other, it needs to be motivated by the one that died for you, the one that gave you hope, the one that gave you your grace and your mercy, the one that you've forgiven of your sins, the one that's given you a new start. When I was a new Christian, um, one of my best friends, um, still today, even though we don't see eye to eye in a lot of things anymore, he called me out on the way that I was living. You see, I was a little bit of a jerk. Probably, if you talk to my friends, they probably know you were a big jerk. Um, probably use another term to describe me and not a jerk. Because jerk being a jerk is, is pretty nice. And he, there was one day we were, we were talking, and he's actually one of my first solid Christian friends, where, I was able, where, we, where we formed a Bible study where we were, we were good friends, but we were really trying to encourage each other how to, how to pursue Jesus. And he said to me one day, he's just like, John, I love you. Don't get any, don't, don't, don't mistake in this as I don't love you. But he's just like, you need to tone down. You need to tone yourself down and you need to show more grace. Because Jesus showed a lot of grace. You need to tone down because what you say is very hurtful to people. You need to learn how to speak to people the way that Jesus speaks to people. And I looked at him and I was just like, well, the words that came out of my mouth was not very nice. But... I was like, what right do you have to tell me how I should interact with people? You see, throughout my whole life, the reason why I became this person, this persona, was of, of trying to be tough and trying to act, act a certain ways because there are so many ways where I was insecure about who I was because being the only Asian kid in an all-white town of Edmonton and growing up, I felt like I had to prove myself in, in a way that... I had to show that, you know what, I'm, don't just look at me as the Asian kid. I could, I, I, I could stand up for myself. And so that persona became a part of who I was, and it became this big part of me where I just was blunt towards everybody. I just literally, I said things that people were thinking, but not necessarily saying, right? Like, you think mean things, but I actually said them. But that was part of me protecting myself. But when he came up to me and he's like, look, I love you, but you are a terrible person. <laughs> and you should not say these terrible things out loud. He's like, actually for him, he's like, actually the reason why we're friends is because you say everything that I think. I just don't say it. But you say it, so then I'd be around you, and I, it just kind of translates. But he's just like, but that's not good. That's not a witness of who Jesus is. If you call yourself a Christian and you're doing this in this way, that's not good. So he called me out on it. He's just like, I love you. And because I love you, I'm calling you out on your, your, your poo-poo. I can't swear on stage. 
you get it. Translate for yourself. But that's what it's about. That's what exhorting each other means. It's to encourage faith into each other and to encourage you to do better. Right? Yes, John, you've, you've changed your life. You're, you're no longer selling drugs. You're not beating people up on the side of the road. You're not doing all of those things. But your language and your behavior is still not good. That's propelling faith. That's propelling goodness. That's propelling Jesus into my life. Because not once did he say that you should do this because you're a Christian now. He said, no, you should do this because Jesus would do it this way. You should do it because Jesus called us to do it this way. That's the language we need to use with each other. That you should do it because Jesus would do it this way. Why is Jesus such a big deal for us Christians? Is because when you look at Jesus, it's the love that he pours into you. That when we see Jesus, we see the grace that is poured in. We see the, the fact that he died on the cross so that you have life today. That's why Jesus is, a com- is compelling. Jesus is not compelling just because he lived a good life. Jesus is compelling because he died for you. He's a person that actually died for you. If a person dies for you, you do everything you can to repay that debt. That's what compels you. So church, this is a new way for us that that the Bible is calling us to live. Exhort one another. Propel faith into each other. Encourage faith into each other. Just as Bernice did that with Deborah and Anita, and now she's calling Deborah and Anita to do the same thing. Right? It's not that you just receive, but that you also give into it. I've had many, many great mentors in my life. And I know that there's going to be more that I could look up to. But these mentors build into you so that you can continue the ministry. They build into you so that you, they're, they're developing a legacy for the church, for the church to do something that creates this movement that travels around the world. The, the church is not stagnant. It's not something that, that stays still. That it's, it's something that is always in motion. And that's why we exhort each other. It's to encourage faith into each other. Hebrews 10, 23 to 25 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. That hope is Jesus. For he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I believe this verse just wraps up everything of what we're, we're, we're talking about. But it lays down a foundation as we finish off this pandemic and as we move forward. God wants to move this church forward into a new era. And so this summer, we want to encourage and teach all of these good things of one and others. Why? Because moving forward is where the church is going to go. But we need every single one of you guys to be on board with that. Right? Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you, Lord. 
that you give us these words to challenge us, but also to encourage us. Lord, that we live a life that is not separate from you, that we live a life that is with you, and that, Lord, that you watch over your church, but you also give grace and mercy to the church so that we can exhort each other to live out our faith, to walk out what you've called us to walk out. So, Lord, we thank you for this challenge. We thank you for your words. And, Lord, may you continue to encourage your spirit and encourage our work. So, Lord, we thank you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Exhortation is the realm of words. And that God has given us the ability to speak life into one another. And Pastor John really helped us to see the connection between exhortation and spiritual vitality. It's our words that help keep us on track because we're living in an environment that's always trying to pull us away from God, pull us away from Jesus, to even seduce us and deceive us. But there is such protection when we're together as a flock and we speak the words of life. We point people to Jesus. We never waver from being fixed on Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. Amen. There's going to be a coming war over the name of Jesus. And God is putting a stoutness in us and a determined spirit in us so that we will never waver under the pressure. So, Father, we thank you this morning, Lord, for these passages that were just taught to us from Hebrews. We thank you for the power of exhortation and how, God, there is a a self-protecting, self-building up mechanism that you've put right within the body of Christ when we speak your words. Holy Spirit, you are an exhorting spirit that speaks to life, the same voice that caused creation to come into being, that prophetic, powerful, creative voice. Lord, let it ring in our midst as we build one another up. We thank you and praise you in the precious name of Jesus. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Bring someone else next week. We're going to fill up these chairs. Have a good one.